The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. John is a book that is for all people, no matter where you've come from and where you're going. Um, Whether you are rich or poor, whether you... um, when you hear the word faith, something comes to mind, or when you hear the word faith, you get upset because it seems like someone talking about like Harry Potter. Um, John is a book that is about a God who didn't stay distant and separate from this world, but a God who came and made himself known and moved into the world, moved into our neighborhood, and says that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. So what we're talking about here is, is a true story. And we've got to walk a long time with Jesus through this story. Um, today what we're going to look at is, is kind of a new dynamic in this story where Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's going to happen after he leaves. So the most incredible event um, has happened where, where God himself walks among us and now he is preparing us for when he will leave. And so we have one of the longest sermons here that he's going to be preaching, or sermons or, or conversations that he has. Um, <clears throat> but before we do that, I'm just going to read it to you, and then I'm going to provide the context for it. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John 14, or you can follow along here on the screen. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives to you. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe me. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming, and he has 
no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So I know it might be a little early to ask you this question, but what do you want for Christmas? Do you guys still think about that? Chad does. <laughs> Chad, no, no laughing, Chad. <laughs> oh, what, what do you want for Christmas? I think <clears throat> all of us probably had different, um, different experiences growing up with the giving of gifts. Um, we, in the Frederick, Frederick home, didn't give uh, a lot of gifts. I remember... Um, when we were younger, we would we would get taken to the dollar store, and uh, we would each we get a dollar, you know, per family member, and it was this very painful decision of of all the valuable things that you could <laughs> you could get for a dollar, and uh, but it, it was it was not made less by the fact that you know we didn't have any concept of really what was monetarily valuable or not, and so you went around and. And you had like the ceramic angels, you know, or, or the other like little toys that you could get. And, uh, and I remember it, it really would be, uh, you would spend hours just trying to figure it out. And so we would get those. There was also a lot of homemade things in my home, um, whether it was gifts for one another or, or gifts for relatives. Um, Christmas was not a time where, where we spent much money. Um, we didn't have a lot of money to spend, so. Uh, but I don't think that uh, looking back, you know, I really don't think that we had any less of an experience because of that, because we had less money. Um, I remember I had friends that would would get pretty lavish things. Like the funny thing is, when I think about this, the, the gift that sticks out to me the most is the Sega Genesis. Does anyone remember Sega Genesis, <laughs> like Sonic the Hedgehog? Yeah, so I, I remember a friend got that, and I was a little jealous that year that I didn't get the Sega Genesis. But I remember there would be stacks and stacks of gifts, hundreds and hundreds of dollars of gifts. And um, But the interesting thing is, is looking back, the gifts that were given, I, th- I think if I can put my finger on it, um, the most enduring part, and, and this sounds very sentimental, but the most enduring part and, and what made those Christmases so special, even though there weren't lavish gifts, was that we, we lived in the, the context of love. Um, that sounds sentimental, but, but there is a, a deep truth, a deep reality to that, which we're going to see um, as we come to this passage in John, where, where the context is John 13, remember we, we, I preached on that two weeks ago, love and betrayal, that, that Jesus knows that he's going to have one disciple who's going to betray him and one disciple who's going to deny him. And, and in that context, he humbles himself lower than them and he washes their feet, knowing that, that they needed to be washed, that they needed to be washed, and, and that he would teach his disciples that, that they would need to, uh, in their relationship with Jesus, they would need to be the ones receiving the washing. They couldn't be the ones to serve Jesus first. He must first serve them and, and let him love them. 
And so this context is, is when they're kind of exposed to the, the dirt, not just on their body, not just the dirt on their feet, but when they're exposed to the dirt inwardly, and they, they need him to love them and wash them, that's, that's the setting here, okay? And then we go from that to Jesus saying, and, and now I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And so him inviting them into this intimate relationship, and we saw this last week in my dad's preaching, he invites them into an intimate relationship with himself to anticipate. And they said, well, how will we know the way to get to the place you're preparing? And Jesus says, very simply, I, I am that way. No man is going to come to an intimate relationship with the Father except through me. Okay, and I, I know a lot of this is, is uh, covering things that you've heard before, but this is fairly extraordinary because then he, he ended, we ended last week with Jesus saying this. If you could have anything for Christmas, what would it be? No, he didn't say that exactly. What he said was, if you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. If you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. And so the question is, if, if you could ask for, he says this twice, if you could ask for anything in Jesus' name, what would that be? And the setup here, I think what Jesus has set up in showing them what the relationship between him and the Father is, is that he set them up to want what is most desirable, which is to be in on that. When, when we hear that he is one with the Father and the Father is one with him and, and that, that we could be a part of that, I think what he's, he's expecting is them to be like, yeah, we went in on that. And yet, I don't know if that's what we know how to ask for. Like, if you could ask for anything in the whole world, would you say, God, I want in. I want, I want to be closer to you. I want to know you more. These things that have kept me apart from you, I, I want those out of my life so I can simply experience the intimacy that you have with the Father. I want to be in on that. If you could ask God for one thing, would that be the thing? And, and not knowing how to ask for that, and not, maybe that not even being the desire of our hearts, this is where we enter in and Jesus does the asking for us. And so if we, if we pull up the verse here, if you're following along, <clears throat> the, first, um, the first fill in the blank here is that, that loving God isn't just a feeling, Right? So, so he exposes this desire between father and son and kind of opens this up to us that we could ask him. And, but then, there's, then he clarifies, though, what this loving relationship will look like. Loving God isn't just a feeling. If you love me, he says, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. I want to just show you how thoroughly this is a part of the context that that Jesus has already built out here. Uh, 13.34, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. 13.15, which is this, If you love me, you will keep my commands. 14.21, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Two verses later in 23, he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. 
15.10, Jesus says this, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. 15.12, he says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then he ends that just a couple verses later in 15.17, this is my command, love each other. It's like if you were hearing Jesus say this, you'd, you'd, probably, you'd probably at the end be like, I get it, okay? Like, like you've made yourself clear. Like, job number one, love. Love what? Well, love God, but also love one another. So the way this can be read in, in 15, 15 is this, if you love me, and he says, keep my commands, literally it can be read this, if you love me, you will love one another. So, (laughs) if you love me, you will love one another. I think the most challenging part possibly about this whole thing, I I spent hours and hours with this passage. It was so hard. It felt like this this crazy puzzle that I was trying to figure out. And, And I think what made it so hard was that I am severely uncomfortable when God uses if then statements. It makes me really uncomfortable if God says, if you, then I. Because, because what we really enjoy hearing is, you know, just come as you are. Like, it doesn't matter. Just come. And there's a lot of truth to that. But, if you come, then transformation must take place. Because if you come and transformation doesn't take place, then you will find yourself again on the outside. And, and that's a very difficult part of this. And, and, and the command here seems simple. Again, right? It's if you love Jesus, then you're going to love one another. But we've already found that in the story of Peter, who fiercely pledges allegiance to Jesus and Judas who followed Jesus for a very long time that that this simple interaction of love for God and love for one another seems very impossible to us right if if you were to come to me and you were to say Daniel tell me what it means to follow Jesus Right? There, this actually happened to Jesus. Jesus had this guy who was like, you know, just, just tell me what I need to do. And, and Jesus, Jesus said to that man, he was called the rich young ruler, rich young man. He said, sell everything to follow me. And he, he essentially was saying the same thing that's being said here. <laughs> if there's one thing you need to do, it's to love God and then to also love one another. And, and what I want to explore here is... <laughs> is first, why is this such an incredibly difficult challenge for us? Like, I, I feel like I, Daniel Frederick, have immense desire to love people, but I find myself time and time again being incredibly selfish. Incredibly selfish, and and I know I we, we and I preached on Peter two weeks ago, and Peter saying, "I will give my life for you." I like I see myself so much in Peter going, "I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to like betray you, and I will always I'm going to lay lay down my life for you." And I find myself so 
tragically unable to do this thing that seems so elementary. <laughs> it's incredibly frustrating. And so, if we can pull up John 15 again, 15, <clears throat> what we go from in, 10, in 15 to, uh, f- to 16 is this, that we are asked to ask, and though we don't know what to ask, then Jesus asks for us. And this is what he asks. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. I will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The word advocate here is um, actually translated, should, should simply mean walk alongside. And it, it would be a, a challenging thing to say, I will, I will give you another walk alongsider to help be with you forever. But that's literally the word here. The word is paraclete. So if you're ever in a theology class and want to sound really smart, you can be like, well, the paraclete, right? And you're just talking about the, the spirit. Um, so he says another because Jesus up to this point has been the one who will walk alongside the disciples. So if they have a question or they need support or they just need to be loved when they're in a hard spot, Jesus will be there with them. But Jesus says, since he's going, he's, again, preparing them for when he's gone. So he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that the Father will give you a, a walk alongside her. And this can actually be translated in two ways. Other than walk alongside, the concept here is defender and comforter. And, and this is incredible. Because the defender doesn't mean in the sense of like fighting for you. Not like, not like someone who's going to um, have a sword and shield. But literally someone who in, like, in a criminal defense will advocate for you. And we see this in Romans 8 where it says we don't know what to ask for from God, but the Spirit himself will groan for us. And so this Spirit who will walk alongside us, so the Father will send the Spirit who will walk alongside us, will be the one who, on our behalf, speaks to God. And the second thing in Comforter is this. Literally, the idea is that he will give you divine wisdom and strength. The Holy Spirit, when, when you don't feel like you know what to do, or you feel like, like the world is just pressing in on you and you can't handle it, that the Spirit will be your strength and be your comfort and guide you. And so this is, this is what the Father is praying for, that, that this Spirit who, um, who comes alongside you will essentially... Be everything for you that, that Jesus was for you, but in, in an even more intimate sense than Jesus was because what Jesus says is he will not just be with you, but he will be in you. And I think the challenge I faced in this is that I found as we have walked through the book of John, I, I've more and more been talking to people in these, um, in these, uh, like, w- wouldn't it be great if, senses, like, man, wouldn't it be great if we could just, like, sit around a fire with Jesus? Maybe some, some of you, me talking with you, I've, I've talked about this. Like, I, I, I've, like, the person of Jesus has really come alive as we've walked through the book of John together. And so as I've seen him walk with the disciples and be so caring and compassionate with them, I've thought, what would it look like if, if when Jesus was around the table, that 
that we were around the table with him and we could have just heard his words and wouldn't that have been so powerful? And, and in saying that though, I think what can creep in is that we begin seeing the Holy Spirit as, as second best. Right? As if, as if the Holy Spirit is kind of like second class to Jesus and if we were just with Jesus, things would make a lot more sense. But right now, we're kind of handicapped because all we've got is the Holy Spirit. Right? Like, they can kind of sneak in and, like, and that this experience of, of having the Holy Spirit is, um, is not as good as it would be to walk those dusty roads with Jesus. But the incredible thing is this, and this is the big idea, is that everything we understand about God, this is incredible, everything we understand about God and everything we experience of God is all a ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that again, and you, you have it if you're, you have the notes, but this is it. Everything we understand about God and everything we experience of God is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so, so our, our big idea that if we were just with Jesus, we would understand it or we would get it is completely a lie made up in your imagination. Because if you were there, and if I was there, we would be just as dumb as the disciples, right? We would be just as numb to the reality of who Jesus is. We, it would, we would just, he would walk by us just like he walked by every single other person. Because this is the thing that's so hard for, for me and I think us to understand is that Jesus did not make himself, when he became incarnate, when he came as a man, he did not make himself extraordinary, he made himself more ordinary than any other person ever was. He, when you saw him, you would not think, oh, there's a superhero. No, like you would have seen him and he would have seemed like just that guy you maybe wouldn't want to talk to, right? And I'm, I'm saying that like me, like I, I pick favorites too and like we all do and we would not have picked Jesus. Like we, you wouldn't have. And so what we need is, is we need the Holy Spirit to make alive to us the ministry of Jesus, to soften our hard hearts and welcome us into a relationship with God, to be the ones that move from betrayal and denial to the ones who actually love him and can respond in love. It's amazing. So if you have had an experience of Jesus. If you understand him in, in the least way, it's because the Holy Spirit has made him alive to you. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does, but what, what we're helped with here is also who the Holy Spirit is. And, and he's described in two different ways. In verse 17, he is described as the Spirit of truth. And then in verse 26, um, as the Holy Spirit. And, and the way these are, are worded here, it literally, it could be the truth spirit and the Holy Spirit or spirit of truth and spirit of holiness, right? And so literally those words are the same. So every time you, you hear the word Holy Spirit, you could also call him the truth spirit. That's, that's what he is being, that's who he is. And so how do we understand the ministry of the spirit if he is the spirit of truth? Well, we're... The first time we hear about the Spirit um, in Jesus' conversation is in John 4. 
Um, if you remember John 4, which was probably like almost a half a year ago, probably more than a half a year ago, um, Jesus spends time with a woman at, at a well, which is a very scandalous setting um, that brings back memories. <laughs> Jesus she's just hanging out with a woman at the well, um, had coffee together, and they, they were hanging out there, um, and the woman we know is an outcast from her community. Um, she's had five husbands. She's living with somebody who's not, she's not married to at the time. And so her community kind of rejects her. And so she's out by this well all by herself. But Jesus engages her in conversation. And the incredible thing is this, that, that the woman not knowing Jesus' intentions, probably because she's met a lot of guys who don't have good intentions, um, she, she's kind of standoffish to him. And, and so Jesus is kind of drawing her into conversation. And the way he does it is he asks her for water. And, and she, um, she says, you know, this is, we, I don't even know why we're talking here. And, and Jesus says, if you knew who asked you for water, you would ask him, referring to himself, and he would give you living water that would well up to eternal life. And she says, show me how to get this water. And then he says, go call your husband. And this is getting real deep, right? And so all of a sudden, and when she's backed into a corner, she engages him in a theological debate, right? Which is exactly what you do when you're backed into a corner. And, and what she does is she says, do we Samaritans worship right? We worship on a mountain. Or do you worship right? You worship in the temple. And Jesus says this to her. He says, a time is coming, and believe me, has now come where worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Right? And, and so he's referring to this time, and, th- and that's exactly what he's talking about, with this, this well of living water that's going to come up and be inside you, coming out of you. That time has now come, and this is the spirit of truth Jesus is talking about. Who, who is the spirit of truth and what does he communicate? Well, the truth he communicates is simply what Jesus has taught. Because when you see Jesus, you have seen the truth. So truth is, if you're just going to boil it down to the, the context we're given is, truth is seeing Jesus. Truth is seeing Jesus. And we get this here because look at this. In verse 17, it says the world cannot accept the truth, um, it cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Then if you go down, it says 19, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And the very end, he says, I too will love them and I will show myself to them. And so in this act of the spirit coming, the spirit of truth coming and showing Jesus we will then live in truth. What does it mean to see Jesus? I think this is, this is the, the challenging definition that we have here is, what does it mean to see Jesus? See Jesus when it isn't something physical that you are seeing. And we, we know that because in 1 Peter it says, even though you have not seen him, you love him and are filled with a joy inexpressible. Even though you have not seen him, you love him are filled with the joy and expressible. So what is this seeing? Well, it's God has given you, in truth, a new way of seeing. 
God is giving you a new way of seeing. This isn't just with your eyes. And so it's not just that Jesus now descends and is standing in front of you and you see him so you see truth. There's this old song called Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. And this is, this is how it went. It said, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. I always thought it was so cheesy, but like it's true. And this is what it said. It says, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see you. And there, there is a sight that the Holy Spirit gives the believer to finally see and know Jesus in such a way where the, literally the world will see you and think you're crazy because it cannot have that same sight that you do. There's, a, there's an incredible story that illustrates this. Um, I try to steer clear of Narnia references because I know they can be very overused. But, um, but this one has had profound influence on me. Um, I remember uh, when I was a senior in college, I started reading them again. And, and a lot of the references when I was at that age started hitting me at a, a deeper level. And I remember um, reading Prince Caspian, and there's this point in Prince Caspian where uh, Lucy can see Aslan, but her three siblings can't, um, Peter, Edmund, and Susan. And, and Aslan has shown up to Lucy a couple times, and... And he keeps giving her directions about where she needs to go, where they need to go together. And, and the rest of the, her siblings say, well, if, if we can't see Aslan, he must not be showing up. You're just crazy. And, and so there's this incredible part, middle of the night, where, where Lucy wakes up and she sees Aslan, this, this sort of metaphor of Christ. Um, and, uh, and Aslan says to her, he calls her away and he says, even if no one else comes, I still want you to come. And I remember, this is, I just graduated from college and it was at this crazy point in my life. And I remember like, just like weeping like a, like a child um, with this call, like even if no one else understands or even no one else gets it, like I still am calling you to come. And, and I think that's exactly what's being talked about here where this, this spirit of truth will come and it says, and the world cannot accept him because it, it neither sees him nor knows him, but ye, you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. That, that the spirit of truth is giving you sight that maybe those around you don't see. Because all they can do is see with their eyes of flesh. They see a situation and, and they see impossibility, but because... You are being led by the, the advocate, the comforter, um, the, the one who will give divine wisdom and strength that you're going to be able to press into that and have wisdom and, and be able to push through. Like, like you're going to have a sight that maybe the people around you don't see. That's what it means to follow the spirit of truth and have, have him in you. <laughs> um, and, and that's what it means to, to understand and experience God in, in a way that's different than, than gathering around the fire with, with Jesus, right? Oftentimes we want that experience, like, I just wish he was here and we were roasting marshmallows and we could just talk. But, but what Jesus is, says here is it, it's actually better that you leave and so the Spirit can indwell you, can be within you, can be that, that spring of life in you, welling up to eternal life and coming out of you. That's the ministry of the spirit of truth. And the second is, what does it mean for him to be a spirit of, of holiness? 
Well, for, for Jesus to be the, or sorry, for the Spirit to be the Spirit of holiness means that, uh, that he can actually make his home with us now in anticipation of our home that we will have with him forever. Right? In, in John 14, we, we saw that he is going to be preparing a home for us. But then in, in, in John 14, uh, 23, it says, If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching, but my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So for, for him to be the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of holiness means that he's going to come in you and, and make you the new temple of God. So, so where in the Old Testament we can see people coming from all over the place to come to the temple to meet with God. Now he's going to clean you out and make you holy. And so God himself, the holy God, can dwell in you and make his home with you. And this is, this is exactly what he's communicating later where he says, my peace I leave you, peace not as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or afraid. What does it look like for you to be the, the home of God? I think these are profoundly challenging ideas. Uh, I think you guys are probably used to me preaching much more funny sermons <laughs> and maybe I'm just not preaching funny sermons because I can't laugh but um, <laughs> but I think this is profoundly challenging because we so often still walk by sight <laughs> and not by faith we so often live thinking that the only way to to experience um, the, the greatest satisfaction is if we could ask for the greatest material return on our ask. Like, like what do you want? And, and I think initially we would fill in the blank. Maybe, maybe they would say, well, Jesus, we want you to stay with us. Maybe they would just say, well, we want, we want a sweet, we want some like sweet houses for all of our families so we can just live out our days in comfort. Like, I, I, think, I think we don't know how to ask for what will truly satisfy our hearts to the greatest extent. And so Jesus asks for us and he asks for an advocate. He asks for the paraclete who will be our defender and our helper. One who will clean us out from the inside out and make it so his home can be within us. In Roman, in, in Revelation three nineteen and 20, uh, it says this, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. <clears throat> what does it look like for us to be the home of God? I'm not even sure if I, I completely know the answer to that question, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I, I know to a small extent. Um, but to a great extent, I think I, I, think I don't because I, um, I think I'm much more good at sharing like material things with people than like living from 
what God is doing within me. Um, I will be honest with you guys. Sometimes, like, I, I, I make prayer a daily habit. Um, but sometimes when I pray, I feel very distant from God. And that is not because God isn't real. It's not because I'm not his child. I really think the reason is because I live off the cuff. <laughs> I live moment by moment, just like make, plowing my own way in this world, like, like living from my own desires, and my desires aren't shaped in, in great extent by, by the holy God living in me. Um, what would that look like? How would that change us? Um, to see this truth come alive in us. We're going we're gonna to dig into this again in a couple weeks because this whole series of conversation Jesus has with his disciples is, is kind of circular where he, he like addresses something and then he comes back to it um, several times again. So we're going we're gonna to come back to this. But what I want to challenge you guys with is not to see the Holy Spirit as less than, the gift of the Holy Spirit is less than the gift of Jesus. I want to challenge you that you don't think that having a fireside time with Jesus is better than having the Holy Spirit fill you and work through you. And, And if we do that, all it is doing is making an excuse for maybe keeping him from cleaning us out and making us those holy temples that we were made to be. So, do you love God? Well, do you keep his commands? Are you loving him? Are you loving others? And, and do you have any idea what it looks like to consider the Holy Spirit the best possible gift that he could give you? Um, so, my application for today is simply, I, I want to explore this more with you guys. Um, in conversation, like actual conversation. Like a lot of times I think I'll preach a sermon and it'll have like really nice bookends. It'll be like, like these are the sermons you guys like, honestly. Because you go and you're like, that was sweet. You know, and it's like, it's like this package of truth that maybe you can go back and listen to. And I, I really want to welcome you guys into this sermon and the fact that you might be bored by it. Like, the Holy Spirit might not be interesting to you, and I don't care. Um, like, like, that's not the point of sermons, is to entertain you. The point of them is to discover truth together, and, and the truth we're discovering, like trying to discover today, is, is that the Holy Spirit is the best possible thing you could ask for. And so what does it look like to ask for that? Spirit of truth, fill me. Spirit of holiness, fill me. And he will make his home with you. And he will fill you with a peace the world cannot take away. Let's pray for that together. Oh God, um, I am often <laughs> just taking in so much of the world with my eyes and my experiences that when you offer something else, something deeper to to have a, a life that is 
is filled with you by a spirit of holiness and a spirit of truth. God, please give us a taste for this today to respond to this offer by sitting down and saying, God, I know you love me so much and I know that you have not left me as an orphan in this world, but you have given me your spirit to fill me. Show us what that means. Help us live from that. God, so we can go out and be your peace in the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.